Hello, everyone, and welcome to We Can Do Pod Things. This is Annalise. And Emily. And here's the podcast where we talk about somebody else's podcast. We really enjoy the podcast We Can Do Hard Things, and it has really helped us grow in our friendship and in our personal lives and even professionally. So we decided that everybody should probably listen to what we think about it um, just because of who we are as people. So if you're new here, welcome. You don't have to listen to Glennon Doyle's podcast, but you should. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but if you don't and you just kind of want to listen and see what two <laughs> middle-aged white women mothers have to say about <laughs> life, you've come to the right place. Um, to everyone who's already who has who's an old favorite here, um, welcome back! Thank you so much for listening. We love, love you. We sure do. Um, Emily, do you have a quote of the I week? I have a quote of the day. <laughs> I know. Um, so I pulled this from a poem by Andrea Smith. Mm. She is a guest on a more recent episode of We Can Do Hard Things. It is a brutal episode that I'm sure we will talk more about eventually. But as we are spending more time today talking about embodiment, mm. this really felt like it was right there in that pocket. Imagine when a human dies, the soul misses the body, mm. actually grieves the loss of its hands and all they could hold, misses the throat closing, shy, reading out loud on the first day of school. Imagine the soul misses the stubbed toe, the loose tooth, the funny bone. The soul still asks, what does the, why does the funny bone do that? It's just weird. Imagine the soul misses the thirsty garden cheeks watered by grief. Misses how the body could sleep through a dream. What else can sleep through a dream? What else can laugh? Whoa. That That's was not embodiment. Very deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to have to think about that. Now, is this what you feel like when I say things to you and you had no idea where they were coming? <laughs> when your whole brain gets blown open and you're still trying to pick up all of the pieces that are scattered everywhere. I was three lines behind you. <laughs> wow. And who did you say that was by again? Andrea Gibson. Andrea and Gibson. this is just an excerpt from her poem called Tincture. Mm. Wow. But if that's not embodiment. Absolutely. That's what we're talking about here, not folks. Not just the body is something that we tolerate, but it's something that our very soul misses mm. on the day that they part and from in, each other. One thing I noticed that she was talking about in there aren't necessarily pleasant things. Mm-hmm. And that Stub toe. Yeah. And the throat closing up on the first day of school. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's 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 a thinker. That's a thinker. Have a think. Have a think. Um, Okay, so this week we are going to continue on our discussion of the episode of We Could Do Hard Things with Dr. Hillary McBride and something about the wisdom of your body. Following the wisdom of your body. Following the wisdom of your body. Um, and just a reminder for those playing along at home, any bingo boards that you have do not count for this episode because it's got all of the 
catchphrases yeah, and you just terms. Put a big red X through your bingo board. The today. whole at you, everybody, everybody wins a prize. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we left off last week talking about the body being present, and um, we feel pleasure in the body, and how the brain kind of shuts down mm-hmm. for some people and specifically in relation to sex. Oh, and you had asked me, when do I feel the most embodied? Yeah. And, and I you came up with an answer that you didn't love. I, I <laughs> did. I, I texted you earlier last week mm-hmm. and I was like, Hey, I think I have an answer for it. And I fucking hate it. <laughs> and you were like, I already don't like it. <laughs> but I think for me, I feel the most embodied when I am in an embrace with someone I love. Whether that's laying down, little co-nap, or um, snuggling on the couch, watching TV. Especially, specifically, if it's just... There's no, it doesn't, there's not necessarily TV happening. You know, like there's nothing out. Maybe music. But just laying there arms around or in someone's arms there's nothing else distracting right the sensation of the closeness to somebody it's all there Mm -hmm. it's mind is there it's physical is there it's all there Mm -hmm. i think that's when i feel the most embodied and right now i I experience that when i lay with my kid at night Mm -hmm. for them to fall asleep so is what you hate about it that it also um, brings back some memory? I hate that it involves another fucking person. Yeah. I can I cannot do that mm-hmm. by myself. Mm-hmm. That's bullshit. Yeah. Is that even embodiment? Dr. Hillary, I would like to know if that actually is embodiment because if it is, I'd like to speak to the manager. <laughs> Still waiting. I am displeased with all of this our numbers got to be called here soon We've i know it's like beetlejuice right when he's <laughs> like is. waiting at the bureau of whatever whatever oh my god but this number is as long as the tape measure <laughs> i um but i do i do think that that's there's that feeling and i don't know if it's the oxytocin or if it's i don't know what it is but that is when i feel the most embodied i feel like my mind and my body are in sync and are equally balanced in the feedback that they are getting it's the good stuff it's the good stuff you know i find interesting though is then they talk later on in this episode about sometimes embodiment is anger mm-hmm. what is a thing that i do that makes me feel better after and her talking about that being embodiment. Mm-hmm. After what? After I do them. Oh, okay. Okay. And that made me think about anger mm-hmm. because sometimes we do have have to let that go. Mm-hmm. We have to let that out. We have to stand up for ourselves or we have to speak on whatever this person is saying that is not acceptable you have to steer towards it instead of swerve around it right i also think it's interesting that she says what is the thing that i do that makes me feel better after not during Mm -hmm. because that's how i feel a lot about um working out sometimes it's Mm -hmm. like i might not love it while i'm doing it 
but afterwards I feel really great. Right. And that's the same thing with a lot of stuff that helps us grow, whether it's uncomfortable conversations. Those don't feel good in the moment, but God, they feel good afterwards. Mm -hmm. Usually. I think sometimes it's going to feel shitty afterwards. But there's still like a, there's still, it's still that shitty of like, it like tired relief though, Mm -hmm. you know? Like I could sit and listen to someone say all of the tr- these true things about, you know, stuff that I've done that I've messed up on. But honestly, feeling it or hearing it feels better to know that it's been out in the open, even if it's hurtful. At least for me. I feel like I can't fully experience it until I have articulated it. Yes. Sometimes I don't even realize exactly how I feel until I've said it out loud. Right. I think that that's one main reason why therapy is such a big deal, right? And because sometimes it's just saying it's saying things out loud to someone and we talk we've talked about this in the podcast before and other people have brought it to light that and that's embodiment too mm-hmm. is saying the thing out loud and not just leaving it in your head. Mm-hmm. That's when it you when you hear the sound of your voice saying the words then you're like, "Oh, it's Bullseye. right, it is making full connection now, mm-hmm. not just a little spark." Um ugly little gremlin somewhere in my soul. Right. It's just a full bodied monster Uh standing in front of me. Mm -hmm. But there's, I think that's also like closure too. Mm -hmm. You can't, it's incomplete until it's spoken out loud. Brought to the light. Brought to light. Um, We're going to lean into that whole how do we feel about it after? How do we feel? How do our bodies physically feel after? We're going to end up talking about that a lot more um, because of just the direction that the, of the conversation that where it went because becoming embodied in and of itself is an unpleasant, can be an mm-hmm. unpleasant experience. Um, I'm going to jump back up to the top of my notes though. She, this is where she talks about learned helplessness. But she didn't actually describe the um, research study that was done. She just talks about animals. Mm-hmm. And she didn't actually detail the study. And I wonder if that would be helpful for our discussion. Well, too bad. Because we couldn't really find a very good <laughs> descriptor <laughs> of the um, said study. But I, it involves forcing animals, mice, to swim in there's like a forced swim test that was something that burnout the book referenced where they had to swim for forever but then when they realized that they that they were never going to get out they kind of they just stopped swimming Mm -hmm. and even when the door was opened they didn't necessarily try to get out they didn't try to swim and it wasn't because you know they couldn't it was just because they had stopped swimming um and the point of that being that learned helplessness physically how that affects our embodiment i find that the more we talk about embodiment or the more times i listened to the episode the less i felt like i understood it 
Did that happen for you? Yes, a little bit. And I wonder if it's because we're trying to make it cerebral. Yeah. And that is not the point of embodiment. No, it's not. And she used that word in there too. And I was really glad that she did because it brought things together for me. Um, where she talks about the more we get into the white andro cerebral world, the more we get away from being embodied and the more though we also try to turn to the tools Mm -hmm. that got us there in the first place. Yeah. Um, She talks about therapy can be mm -hmm. a tool for mass embodiment. Disembodiment. Yes. Yeah. And disembodiment. The quote from Audre Lorde about you can't disassemble the master's house with the master's tools. Mm -hmm. And her saying like, hey, like I might be betraying my field a little bit here, but psychology has contributed to this Mm -hmm. mass disembodiment because it is reinforcing this idea that we need to go to somebody else to fix our brains because they know better than we do Mm -hmm. about them. And our brains are something that needs to be fixed to begin with. And also like putting so much more value on what's going on in the brain and it being this, like the quality of information that the brain produces is more beneficial Mm -hmm. or helpful or valuable than the physiological information that our bodies create. Yeah. She talks about how, Black churches have been more embodied than any therapy office for years. Yeah, she talked decades. In, in, in indigenous people and cultures embodying routinely, mm-hmm. and that so that you, the end because the question was, do you need to be in therapy, or do you have to have therapy in order to become embodied? And the answer being essentially no, mm-hmm. you don't. Yeah, I. I do wonder if it is a little bit like iron deficiency. For most people who have iron deficiency, if you just take a supplement or change your diet, that is that will fix the problem. Mm-hmm. But then for some people who are severely anemic and have been anemic for a long time or whatever is causing their anemia is not necessarily just as simple as dietary they need like infusions Mm -hmm. and stuff i wonder if it's a little bit like that say more if people who have experienced longer periods Mm -hmm. of disembodiment Mm -hmm. whether that's within their own lifetime or within their generational lifetime might need more intensive tools Mm -hmm. for embodiment including therapy that seems to make sense Not just therapy, but Mm -hmm. also including therapy. Yeah. If you have perhaps centered your survival Mm. around being disembodied, Mm -hmm. then you're going to have those tools buried pretty deep. Right. And excavating those is maybe going to be harder for you than it would be for the next person. Yeah. It's not necessarily something that group yoga and, you know, a sense of community is going to be able to completely dismantle. Mm -hmm. I appreciated that at times I definitely got the sense that 
the other podcasters were just as confused by all this stuff yeah. as I am. Yeah. Um, and it was helpful to me that Glennon said, the way that I can get at this is by focusing on my senses. Yeah. And that feels doable. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's the next right thing. That. Right. I can do that. Um, lighting a candle. Yeah. They give that example. I loved that. It's a thing that you do for no other reason mm-hmm. than because it makes you feel good. And the and just the simple act of doing that, it's like self-efficacy. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that you've completed something mm-hmm. increases the likeliness that you'll do it again. Yeah. And, it, and it reinforces that you can do it in the future. It's lighting the candle is a small step towards embodiment because we did something that we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. We just, we, we decided we wanted to do something and we did it. Yeah. Just pausing every once in a while to do kind of like a full body scan. Like, yeah. what do I feel in my body right now? My lower back hurts a little bit. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice that until I really made an effort to notice that my feet are cold because this floor is cold and my feet are on this floor. Just taking the time every once in a while to do that. And it feels like mindfulness and embodiment are so hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Cause those are all things that you would do to be like a mindfulness activity. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, the senses that's like the thing, yeah. like that's like the number one mindfulness activity that everybody knows is the five, four, three, two, one, the five things you can hear five things you can see four things you can hear three things you can mm-hmm. touch two things you can smell it's kind of a misnomer isn't it yeah it's not really mindfulness it's bodyfulness it's mind and body it's roll off the tongue it's mindy mindodiness <laughs> something god somebody come up with some something better yeah than mindfulness mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah because that doesn't even that word doesn't acknowledge the body at all right where it just continues to Reinforce that there's this mm-hmm. separation between church and state. <laughs> separation, which you could kind of make the argument, state being the brain and church being the body. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's this separation between the two. Yeah. And they're not supposed to mix. When we think about the body in terms of religion, mm. I was looking for... Any reference I could find to Adam and Eve being banished from the garden. Okay. Because the more I think about that story, (laughs) the more it feels to me like it is, I mean, it's right there. It says outright that it is the arrival of a next level of consciousness that is the sin which gets them kicked out mm-hmm. of the garden knowledge. And I wonder if that is really what this whole thing is. It's what the whole fucking thing is about. Yeah. Yeah. This origin story of mm-hmm. why we must be imbo- disembodied. Mm-hmm. Why humans garden is all about sensation. Mm-hmm. The garden was about taste and touch and smell. Mm-hmm. And so to be, quote unquote, kicked out of the garden. And wholeness. Mm-hmm. 
that that's so fucked up because the thing that got them kicked out was she wanted to eat from the tree of the knowledge of mm-hmm. good and evil. And honestly, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. Is there? Mm-hmm. Is there something wrong with that? No. And also, <laughs> when we are so desperate to have things exist in our minds, mm. we cut ourselves off from the garden. So the garden isn't necessarily embodiment either because the garden is physical and it wasn't until trying to integrate the knowledge, the mm-hmm. brain, that they became cut off from the body. Garden. Calling all religious scholars, this is not <laughs> the first time that we have asked I am for you guys. Once again, <laughs> asking you. But I looked up the word Eden because I wondered oh. if it had any, I couldn't find anything. Oh. But I wondered if there was anything there no, with that, that word. That's definitely worth researching. You know, we love our etymology over here. Speaking of things that I looked up, okay. you asked about the brass ring. Yes. And <gasps> where it comes from. Mm-hmm. On old-timey carousels, okay, it was a thing that you would reach for this dispenser, mm-hmm. and it would, um, if you could reach it and pull one out, mm-hmm. you would get either, I think, silver rings, or Ooh. if you were the lucky one to get a brass ring Ooh. out of it, then you would get some kind of prize. Uh, there are only 19, I think is what it said, brass ring carousels left, maybe even in the world. Where are the brass? Where? How does that work? Would you like to see a picture? I would, and then you can post it on our Instagram. Yeah. Oh. So they just roll out. Oh. And you got to reach in and hook it with your finger and take one. And if you get the brass ring, I'm not. When I think it says you get another ride on the carousel. Never in my whole entire life. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, now we know. You're welcome, everybody. (laughs) I also liked when they were talking about when do you listen to fear or when do you override it? Yeah. And Hillary said, wow, wouldn't that be nice to know? (laughs) (laughs) They thought they were going to get this answer. Waiting with bated breath. And and she was like, not today, (laughs) Sebastian. I fell for it, too. I was waiting for the big reveal that... Did not come. This might, that might actually be why I have written down the quote of, because I feel sadness, I can also feel joy, which is um, one of my favorite things from Lizzo. She had posted on Instagram that when she's having a bout of depression or sadness, trying to remember that because she Mm -hmm. feel, she knows that because she's feeling the sadness that that means she's also capable of feeling joy because you can't numb one without numbing the other. Right. Um, and I wonder if that was why she said that mm-hmm. because there was something that she had said that made me think about that quote and why you can't just turn off some things like fear. Mm-hmm. Um, she also talked about we live, living in a um, culture that our survival and we're praised for disembodying ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
Women and, in particular. Yes. And it's not by these like horrible, evil parents who, you know, want to screw up their kids, but just, we're just doing the best that we can. Mm-hmm. And that whole, what did she say? Like no pain, no gain, or just tough it out or um, whatever. We tell ourselves to get through something that's distressful. Well, and the hard thing is as long as our society exists the way it does, mm. it is in some ways not totally responsible to be a parent who right. only teaches their kid embodiment. Right. Because society dictates that there are times when you do have to be disembodied right. and able to endure <laughs> what's this, out there. Yes, and this comes back to the, the in the first our first episode or the beginning of this up this of that podcast episode was sometimes it's not safe to be in your body mm-hmm. and, and disembodiment. Thank God for it. Thank, thank the body for it mm-hmm. because it's our body's way of surviving and disassociation and how that has enabled us to get through shit that would have been too painful and like ending mm-hmm. had we tried to stay present for it. I think I, that was I wrote the question, is it even possible to raise an embodied child? <laughs> is it even possible to do that? Because to raise a fully embodied child? Yeah. It, it, and I wrote down then giving the right embodied experiences. And, and so that I guess that's, she, talk, she tells that story about um, her being in the car and her daughter crying because her daughter doesn't like, a car, doesn't mm-hmm. like the car seat and it being scarier for her when her daughter stopped crying mm-hmm. because that, that's that's that, learned helplessness. That's learned helplessness. That's that don't ever stop telling me when mm-hmm. something feels uncomfortable. Don't ever stop telling me when, you know, something is bothering you or upsetting you. And mm-hmm. my initial thought was, well, what? Yes, please stop telling me. I don't want to. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. Well, Why are you continuing to tell me this thing? Yeah, this is where the rubber meets the road for me, too, yeah. because... I was talking about making my kids wear shoes. Right. And what does that do to the relationship if I tell them, always tell me how much you don't wear shoes. Oh my God. How much you don't want to wear shoes. Always tell me. Tell me how much you don't want to wear shoes. While I am simultaneously forcing shoes onto their feet. And I don't, oh God, I don't want to sound condescending, but I'm going to anyways. She's a new mom. Mm. And I'm not saying that she's going to regret that. I just know in my experience of being a mom mm-hmm. that 90% of the things I've said, I circle back to and go, mm-hmm. well, I don't know about that. I wonder if, if in another eight or nine years, if she'll still have that. This that episode, more than any other episode... Would be one that I wish I could just sit down for five minutes with her and say, I have these questions. Could you say more about this? How does this actually work? Mm -hmm. What does this look like in actual practice? Help me understand. (laughs) Because I think she probably has answers for those questions. Good answers for those questions. Um, She just couldn't squeeze it into a one hour podcast with Glenn Doyle. How great. Because I mean, you couldn't solve all the world's problems with disembodiment in 60 minutes. Man, what are you doing here, lady? Um, Unfortunately, she does have her own podcast. Yes. And she does have books. Yes. Whole Again. Was it Whole Again? 
could be (laughs) (laughs) something about being whole. Um, but maybe that is the next right thing for me is to purchase one of the books. Ooh, yeah. I, uh, along the lines of what we were just talking about is how do we know the difference between distress tolerance and giving up on advocating for our needs? Mm -hmm. Because there is a point. It's what we were just saying where sometimes we just have to do the thing. Yeah. And distress tolerance being a big thing that I'm into with in my job and also a bit as parenting is everyone having a little bit of distress for a treat because that's how we build resilience. And the, and it's like, it's yoga is distress mm-hmm. tolerance for our muscles. That's in why it was integral, why yoga stretching is integral into meditation, because in order to be able to maintain these poses of meditation, the body needed to be able to be fit and work within those confines. And so the muscles had to be really well stretched and everything. I wonder if maybe what she is trying to say is that embodiment is just not denying to yourself Mm. that it sucks Mm -hmm. or just not denying to yourself that it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. You still have to do the thing, but don't do the the toxic positivity thing where you pretend that it doesn't hurt you to do this thing. Mm -hmm. Actually allow yourself to feel the grief or whatever you have to feel while also doing this thing that you have to do. Two things can be true. Uh Your body can hurt and it can be the best thing for you. Yeah. That goes along with an issue that I had with something in, in group last week, we were talking about positive reframing and reframing is great. It's something that I do frequently, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it can feel invalidating. Mm -hmm. It's like difficult. I would much rather say this thing sucks and Mm -hmm. than say, oh, does it suck or is it just blowing away? You know, like sometimes, yes, it is that. And, And reframing, trying not to... Then ga- it feels a little gaslighty, yeah. I guess, mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say. Because that makes so Which much sense. Which is another concept that I really wrestle with. There's an episode about gaslighting that I don't fully understand. Maybe we'll talk about that one someday. Mm, okay. We'll put that on the list mm-hmm. in your head. Yeah. But you should probably also write it down. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess maybe that's what scared her about her daughter going silent. Right. Was that it is the first step to numbing yourself. Mm-hmm. To what you feel. It doesn't necessarily indicate that you have become tolerant of mm-hmm. something or that you are resilient. It is, it's that you've stopped communicating that need. Mm-hmm. And um, she talks about that. She says, we won't stop living our lives, but you also don't have to stop communicating. And maybe what she's afraid is not just that her daughter has stopped communicating it to herself, to Hillary, mm-hmm, but, but also that her daughter has stopped communicating it within herself, mm-hmm. her own body. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just stopped listening to what her body is telling her. Mm. Because yes, again, that, and that's, <laughs> that's something I think I'm not even going to say, especially women. I think everyone, mm-hmm. everybody has been trained to mm-hmm. do that and for some some genders it might be different types of pain that we're 
or, or feedback that mm-hmm. we are trained to ignore. And this goes back to something she said too about we are raised in a culture where we are praised for our disembodiment, rewarded for staying mm-hmm. silent. And how people, and Glennon said the thing about being embodied, you work on being embodied, and then people are like, aren't you supposed to be just like happy all the time and dancing and whatever? And like, people only want embodiment when it's convenient for those right, around us because right. sometimes our embodiment is going to be inconvenient and uncomfortable and for them. Ragey. And that's where I got to this point of like, sometimes embodiment is anger. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is going to be saying, hey, you can't talk to me like mm-hmm. that. Sometimes it's not though. Yeah. And for me, I'm, I have to learn how to pick my battles. And sometimes it's, you can say, Hey, you can't talk to me like that. You don't say, Hey, listen up motherfucker. You're a piece of shit. And you always have been, and you always will be. And this is some bullshit. And you've always treated me like this. And it doesn't have to be over the top anger either. Embodiment can still exist with regulation. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Who? Maybe. We don't know. We're, we're, I know. I think you're right. We're figuring this out on the fly. You guys. <laughs> Um, I want to go back. I wrote this down where she talks about the body is the ultimate interrupter. Mm-hmm. And is that, maybe that's why it's hard to love our bodies because we're going along, doing all our things, doing everything fine. And then our body is like, oh, that hurts. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, wait, go back, circle back. That's right. We like that. And it's like stopping the automation. Mm-hmm. And when people say, oh, I just need four more hours in the day. Hmm. But you don't have four more hours in the day because your body says, stop, we mm-hmm. need to sleep now. Yeah. I feel like for me, that's something that I'm going to explore because that would make a lot of sense for me as to why that would be the thing that upsets me or irritates me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because I'm just trying to live my life and you're just trying to distract me Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's not distraction it's still important information and it isn't not us right we we treat our bodies as if they are this tag along Mm. to our souls and our minds and they aren't they're just as much a part of this exactly she talks about the aspect of self-trust that involves building a relationship with all of our Emotions, including anger and disappointment and having grace with ourselves when we don't do the right thing or when we make mistakes. And that is something that I work on right now a lot as I'm working on self-trust is that instead of it's again, instead of banishing the inconvenient or uncomfortable things, giving them a seat at the table including anger and disappointment and having grace when we don't do the right thing or when we do make mistakes, we can be angry and also know that this is how we learn and that this was necessary Mm -hmm. and know that anger is allowed to be angry. Anger is not a failure. Right. And, and I can be angry with myself, but I don't have to beat myself up about something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you give anger the proper platform, 
then it won't be over the top. What's up, internal family systems? Oh, hello, we're back, Pixar. We knew you'd show up. Dude, I got so excited because I thought I saw, like, I thought I saw it on Disney Plus. I thought it came out, but it wasn't. It was something about the elements. It's called The Elements. I saw that, and I wondered how similar they might be to each other. Right, because the um, animation and illustrations and stuff looked very similar yeah. to the point it's where I It's definitely giving notes of Inside Out. I'm getting hints of mm-hmm. this and, oh, I bet it's all about embodiment because it's about the elements, right? I don't know. Earth, it might wind. be. Earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> Air. I can't. Well, we should, oh. I wonder if Captain Planet's going to make a cameo. By my powers combined. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, Disney's purchased everything else. Yeah, I know. Captain Why not? Planet. Why not? I want to talk about something that I thought more about after last week was you were saying that when you try to recreate the feeling as best you can of a warm hug or Mm. stabbing miserable cramps, Mm -hmm. that the one that is most easily accessible to you are the cramps. Mm -hmm. And intellectually, I get what you are saying. Our brains are designed that way. Mm And also, I don't know if that is, that's not normal. (laughs) No, I'm not saying normal is just a setting on a dryer. I know. But I, I. You don't think that's universal? I don't think that that's universal. I can say without a doubt it's not universal because that's not the case for me. And then I thought about things like how our body does forget like the pain of childbirth and things like that. So that we can continue to populate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, that just stayed in my brain. Hmm. Laura, <laughs> take a note. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> and I wonder how much that has to do with frequency. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How often do you experience warm hugs versus how often do you experience stabbing cramps? Mm-hmm intensity i wonder if it's a little bit of learned help must be a factor too not learned helplessness but like almost pessimism yeah a little bit too like which pessimism kind of is a product of learned Mm -hmm. helplessness yeah i think what i wanted us to get away from was we were kind of on the verge of making a blanket statement yeah that one is always more present yeah you can't then the other you have you have no ability to control mm-hmm. which one your brain remembers yeah. more than the other and that i think is what i respectfully am going to send back to the kitchen i love it <laughs> i'm so glad that you did that because i need that i need the people that are going to be like well, hang on a minute mm-hmm. are you sure um, well, it's one of those things that we do, right? Yeah. We start thinking in absolutes. Yes. And then we need somebody to say, well, hang on just a minute. Listen, whippersnapper. Listen, you little, <laughs> you little shit. <laughs> um, another quote from the from the episode that I wanted to make sure that we touched on was where she says, embodiment isn't just for us. It's for the people that we connect with as well. And it's crucial for empathy. Mm-hmm. We need to be embodied so that we can have empathy for other people. 
-hmm. If we don't remember or understand or feel or have knowledge of the specific feeling of what it feels like to be this Mm -hmm. way, we're not, it's going to be harder for us to be able to feel that way for other people. Yeah. And how does it feel a little bit like the difference between being nice and being kind? Mm, Yeah. If you're disembodied, that might show up as as being nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. Embodiment shows up more as being kind. Right. Empathy and sympathy Mm -hmm. kind of are the same Mm -hmm. thing. Sympathy is like, I feel bad for you. Mm -hmm. Not, I feel what you feel. Mm -hmm. It, It really helps spread some generosity when I look at it that way of why can't this person just let me be the way that I am? Mm -hmm. Well, it says a lot about them Mm -hmm. and very little about me when my authenticity is challenging to someone else. Mm -hmm. And then that, I guess, builds empathy for me towards them. It's like you have the cheese touch. (laughs) Your authenticity is the cheese touch. (laughs) And that other person is going, ew, no. Did I tell you? Did I tell you? Okay, so I was at, oh my God, I don't think I told you this. Um, We went, I went to the Lafayette, the Art Museum of Greater Lafayette. Mm Mm-hmm. It's free for all of those Lafayettes. Um, You can, it's open Monday through Friday, 11 to 1 p.m., I believe. Um, no, 11 to four, I think. Anyway, there was a, a, one of the exhibits was of students and there was one in there and I, I think I might've even taken a picture of it to show rally because it was this hand reaching out Mm -hmm. and the hand was made of cheese. (laughs) (laughs) And the title of the work was cheese touch. Were all the other kids standing around with their fingers crossed? Um, I... Uh, unclear. I'll have to I'll have to see if I did save a picture of it to show Rally. I want to speak to that artist. I know. Because that person Genius. gets me. <laughs> I would love to purchase that work. Mm-hmm. That person, if I had to guess about their life, lives with small children. It, it was a high school student, I think. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was all students. Like, the work was oh, all submitted oh, okay. by students. Got it. And so I, it was like, it was probably a junior high or high schooler. Mm -hmm. And that made me laugh really hard. Um, Can we get back to a little bit about learned helplessness and every woman feeling that resignation at some point. And that for me brought up Brett Kavanaugh. Mm. And when he was being confirmed or whatever to the um, Supreme court amidst all of the, investigation and reports of sexual misconduct. And I just knew it wouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. This is pessimism. This is learned helplessness, but I, I wasn't even going to get hopeful that it would be a reason for him not to be confirmed Mm -hmm. because time and time again, nobody cares. And there's an element of a survival mechanism in that. Yeah. I can't continue to spend energy hoping that the right thing is going to happen or mm-hmm. hoping that 
one day America is going to wake up and believe women or believe Mm -hmm. survivors of sexual abuse, regardless of the gender. I just can't afford to do that (laughs) because it's historically not been true. Mm -hmm. And you know what sucks about that for all of us is that we can't afford to do it. And we also can't fucking afford not to. Right. So what are we supposed to do about that? No one cares. Evidence doesn't matter. No one's going to change or provide anything. And why? Yeah. Why not? And also when we just lay down and accept that. Yeah. Then that really is the final nail in the coffin. But damn it, this coffin has 84,000 nails in it already. (laughs) When is it going to be fucking closed (laughs) is what I want to (laughs) know. It's just hard because it's like you got to do a little bit. You got to be able to do at least a little Mm -hmm. bit. But not being able, but not doing so much that you're just devastated after every single loss. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have any moments like that where there, for me, it's, it's really specific to sexual abuse or like, like rape, um, that whenever I hear about it, I'm upset about it, Mm -hmm. but I have zero expectation for anything to be done about Mm -hmm. it, especially if I can't control it, right? (laughs) Which is 99% of the time. I think it's really easy to fall into that if you are any type of educator. Oh. And there are certain trends with students or parents, Mm -hmm. guardians, uh, things that you see happening over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And it gets discouraging and you start to think, can I actually do anything to make a difference here? Right. What is the point? Mm -hmm. Okay. So yours is, yeah, that makes so much sense. Uh, She talks about... The disembodiment is the nervous system's response that causes depression. Mm -hmm. And I had to stop and really wrap my mind around it. The, The link between disembodiment and depression. And I think maybe it went, correct me if I'm wrong. I think maybe it went disembodiment learned helplessness, depression. Or was she yes. talking about disembodiment? I mean, she I think was she talking, was, but I think she also said it in the context of learned helplessness. It was after Am they I right had, about that? Y- yes, it was after they had talked about learned mm-hmm. helplessness, but it was, it was after that because they were talking about learned mm-hmm. helplessness and yeah. her saying something about um, the depression. Mm-hmm. And the longer we spend disembodying ourselves, Mm -hmm. the more prone we are or the more that makes us susceptible to depression. Yeah. And thinking about my own experiences with depression and thinking about other people who I know and care about and their experiences with depression and their own experiences with disembodiment. And it just, it was a light bulb for me that if it's not all going to, it's not always better living through chemistry. And we know that Mm -hmm. it's, it is a little bit of both. It is, Hey, if your brain's not making the right chemicals, let's try to help it out. And also the medication is a conduit for reconnecting to your body. Yep. Okay. The it's, 
it's the patch that gets us back to Mm -hmm. doing all of these things naturally. Because that's what we figured out happened with those, with the mice, right? In my limited understanding of that study, um, they, they did the forced swatter, forced Mm -hmm. swim. And then for some of the mice, they administered antidepressants antidepressants, Mm -hmm. and they noticed a little bit more will to live a little Mm -hmm. bit more Mm -hmm. vim and vigor with the (laughs) ones that had gotten an SSRI. Right. Yeah. That was, that was, yeah. Okay. We're putting it all together because you know what, that's where it goes to psychology is perpetuated disembodiment. Mm -hmm. If we are leaning too heavily on one tool, that's not balance. Then the key to embodiment isn't just physical and it isn't just psychological. It's a little bit of both. Did you see me kind of laughing to myself just now? Yes. I was thinking about when you said, okay, we're putting it all together. I was thinking we're putting our ideas about embodiment together in the same way that Dale and Brennan put together a bunk bed. <laughs> like, that's what I feel like. We've got all of these wonky pieces and they're not all in the right place. But, by God, we're functional. There, it, we, can, we can refine it as we go. There's so much more room for activity. <laughs> Therapy activities, uh-huh. embodiment activities. Yep. <laughs> Candlelighting podcast. Um, She talks about the concept of interoceptiveness (laughs) in that tiny, like those tiny things of the lighting the candle because I want to light a candle. Mm -hmm. And now because I've lit the candle, I know that my friend is a virgin and the, (laughs) that we're the, they're, they're back. The Sanderson sisters are back, but also that because I've lit the candle, I know that I can, do that. I get, and I feel good because like, Mm -hmm. look, I did something. I sensed something in my body that I need, that I wanted to do. And I filled the need. I did the thing that I wanted to do and that feeling good and giving me power and empowerment and embodiment. And that just is microdosing embodiment to me. Like, I Mm -hmm. love that that is, that is one small step. Yeah. Even a teaspoon of agency. Yes. Yes. And how important that is again, for people who don't have as much control over their lives. And and thinking about a lot of the people that I work with who don't really control much of their lives, if anything at all, and how wound up they get about things like what's on the TV or the tiniest little thing that they can control and people being like, well, I don't, it's not that big of a deal. Or like, why is it? Well, but when it's the only thing that they can control, it is a big deal. You know, I would never say anything bad about animal crossing ever. And also (laughs) I think that because animal crossing simulates agency, achieving something, crossing things off a list I think that that's what makes it appealing. Certainly yeah. to me, I feel as if I've accomplished things. Emily, I just had a vision of you getting your PhD and your thesis being on Animal Crossing <laughs> and the therapeutic. Nook is an allegory for God. <laughs> I'm sure there's a Reddit thread out there that will that is that are is already identifying all of these, but I would really love for you to spend the next mm-hmm. five years 
really fleshing it out for me in in a paper form and doing some studies and stuff. I mean, I'm definitely putting in the research. Play <laughs> <laughs> animal crossing like every so day, many hours. <laughs> Same or Farmville, or any oh, video game, anything like that. It makes us feel like we're achieving something. Achievement unlocked. Yeah. And that is also kind of a scary thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, then I think we'll, the last thing we'll talk about is what she identifies as the domains of embodiment. So she says there's three, mental, social, and physical. Mental embodiment being the way that we think about bodies Mm -hmm. and that one's pretty, I think obvious in like the best first step, right? Like how we think about our own body, Mm -hmm. but it's not just on a micro level. One thing she talks about too, is it being on the macro level Mm -hmm. of everybody's bodies and how you think about everyone's bodies, what beliefs you hold about bodies, if they're supposed to look a certain way or perform a certain way, then the more accepting you are of the gamut of, of possibilities, the closer you get to embodiment. I feel like somewhere right now, Sonia Renee Taylor just sat straight up mm. and went, somebody out there is getting it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> this is catching on. My spidey sense is tingling. <laughs> yes. Somebody out there is figuring it out right yeah. now. And... I appreciated that she really talked about that macro level Mm -hmm. because I think we've already talked about the micro level and we understand it on a micro level being you and I at least. And then if we're able to extend that same belief towards other people, but you know what? I, I feel for me, sometimes it's easier to have that belief for other people than it is for myself. Oh, absolutely. Especially with, the kind of work that Sonia Renee Taylor does yeah. when it comes to where do we fit on the ladder mm-hmm. of our bodies? Mm-hmm. We don't, we're too scared to climb down the ladder. <laughs> we want to stay as high up on the ladder as we can stay. Right. Right. Yeah. Which kind of leads us to social power. Mm-hmm. Who else knows what this feels like? Who else? We may not like the way that we feel or we don't like the way that we feel or whatever who else knows this feeling and how can I create connection and commitment with them mm-hmm. um and then physical noticing or one of the things she talked about the aspect of physical embodiment is noticing your desire and honoring it which yes and mm-hmm. you there are we still have to there are boundaries. There are still things that you are going to want that you can't have that you shouldn't have mm-hmm. or that isn't yours to have. I think if in the way that she's talking about it, that you are getting curious about that. Yeah. You're seeing this thing that I want, whether it's sexually or not, but I think she was specifically talking about it in a sexual way as well. What, why is it that I want that thing? Mm -hmm. And what have I, what have I been told that I can't do that I want to do in doing that thing? Yeah. Being very embodying. It again, requires that curiosity of not just 
learning what your love language is, but what does that say about you? Mm-hmm. Or what does that tell you about other people? And how can I use that to connect with them on a deeper level? Why is this a thing that I'm wanting? And what does that say about me? And what is it that, I think she calls it pinch to zoom at one point, really drilling down and getting to what is the part of me that noticed that I wanted that? Mm -hmm. And what does that say? And and what felt that? And how did I become aware of it? Which I think is the kind of just that whole lifelong enlightenment yeah. sort of thing. I was thinking about, I'm still stuck on when you were talking about the micro and the macro level mm. and how we really do have a responsibility or an opportunity to use whatever power we do have mm. mm-hmm. based on where we are on the hypothetical ladder Mm -hmm. to make a safer world for other people to be embodied Mm. because historically white Anglo folks imposed disembodiment Mm -hmm. on other groups. Mm -hmm. And we have the chance to undo that in whatever small ways we can. Mm -hmm. I'm glad she said that reminds me of, of something that she was talking about earlier on in the episode and existing in this, the white. And she talked about um, androgen, like, so like the more masculine, world and um the more we're holy and fully in that then more disembodied we are and i had a thought that it isn't the white and masculine that is so dangerous It is putting all your eggs in that basket. Mm. It is disavowing every other It's not whiteness, it's white supremacy. Right. Is that what you're saying? Right. It's and it's and it's being too much in one world. Mm -hmm. You can't be too much in the psychology world. Mm -hmm. You can't be too much in the touchy-feely world yeah it's balance it's it's all of the things it's don't be just one thing Mm -hmm. that's the opposite of embodiment mind supremacy mind supremacy Ooh, i like that but i just i just really wanted to say that i felt like it was an important thing to say that this isn't about the evilness of white this is about the evilness of disembodied white supremacy Mm -hmm. of too much yeah of excess yeah of of rigidity and refusing to incorporate or accept or value Mm -hmm. anything outside of the limitations of that one existence and i think when you think of it in those broader ways 
it keeps you motivated mm-hmm. because seeking embodiment for myself is kind of optional. Mm-hmm. But when I think of it in terms of, I'm not only doing this for myself, I'm doing this to disrupt a bigger system that affects everyone. Mm, yeah. Including my own children. Yeah. Again, it makes it more accessible for us because mm-hmm. it's easier to do it on behalf of someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for sticking around through this. Um, <laughs> through this rickety bunk bed of a discussion. <laughs> we made it to the other side. Um, if you have some thoughts that you would like to contribute to this discussion, please get with us at podthingspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at we can do pod things with underscores. And we're also on TikTok now. Mm-hmm. We have a TikTok video, <laughs> <laughs> but we do have a TikTok now. And um, so if you like us, follow us on um, Instagram and on TikTok. And this has been We Can Do Pod Things. I'm Annalise. I'm Emily. And thank you so much for listening.